What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Direct Podcast. We have another stacked show for you guys, a pack sizzle reel, a Wonder Woman 1984 review, and a fun 2021 wish list segment later in the show. For any of those segments, peep the time codes in the description below. Let's get to it. Truth is, I am a Jedi, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. <laughs> Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave. Blow that piece of junk. Welcome back. Episode 13 of the Direct Podcast. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all. We are a couple of days removed from the holidays, but we're still celebrating and still having a good time. I'm your host, Liam Crowley, the Colossus of Clicks, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Remke. No nickname this week, Matt. Any Anything uh, out of the ordinary? I just think that, um, you know, the nickname should cater to what's going on that week, and I couldn't come up with a Wonder Woman one. DC's not a big nickname place, I don't Very think. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to force it. You know what I mean? We're going to stay water and uh, we're going to find that right nickname when it comes. We'll find it someday. I don't know why, but in my head, I was about to introduce you as the Holly Jolly Matt Remke, but I decided I, against it. I could get behind that, but is, is that okay. a fat joke? Is that is that what we're going no, with here? No, it, it just you Do got I a look pre- extra Holly and Jolly today? Oh, hold <laughs> up. You got a lot of presence in the background, which which makes me think you're still in the Christmas spirits. Um, we're recording on December 26th. I think that when you only have an office and a guest bedroom and they're one thing, you can have as many presents in here as you want, especially with the puppy who won't get out of the damn presents. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of yeah, Christmas, a little, little storage unit slash office today. Yeah. Well, speaking of Christmas, I, I got to ask, how was your Christmas? How was your December 25th? Get what would you get? Anything special? It was pretty cool. I got um, a lot of really awesome art for my office, um, some shelves. I got a framed picture that is just text on a white background. It says on your left. And I almost cried because that's the coolest thing anybody could ever get. Shout out my beautiful fiance, Aaron. Um, I got some more art. That's pretty amazing. I got a soda stream so I can always have fresh club soda, especially when I'm drinking what I'm drinking now, which is um, Dwayne Johnson, the Rocks Tetamana uh, tequila. And it's fantastic. And, you know, so if you're so inclined or you're looking for something to kind of mellow you out throughout the day, make sure to pick up a bottle of Tetamana. Um, Liam, what was your favorite present? And also, how is your family? Because that is the true meaning of Christmas. That is very true. Uh, it was a good, good Christmas, you know, felt kind of weird because COVID times, but we did make the rounds. We went to the different families, houses, no entering the house, of course, stayed in the car, wave, hey, Merry Christmas, how's it going? <laughs> Hope everything was good. Uh, kind of paraded the new puppy around because people just love a, a love a dog, you know, it just is something that just brings the spirits. But in terms of gifts, I got a sweet Moff Gideon pop vinyl from my brother. Very, very thoughtful. He, he knows me. He knows what I like. He knows how Gets jazzed it. I'm getting at 345 in the morning when Moff Gideon is uh-huh. using that dark saber and it, it's pretty sweet. But my favorite gift, I got to say, I got Matthew McConaughey's autobiography and it's called Green Lats because with Green Lats, we're always moving forward. We're always making progress. So you might come up to a stop sign, may come up to a stop light, but it doesn't mean it's not going to turn green. All right, all right, all right. 
It's fantastic. That's just good stuff. I'm not even going to try mine because I want to let yours eat. And that was very well done. Um, but yeah, man, it was a great holiday for both of us. It sounds like, you know, a little weird, but uh, we're just so thankful for everybody out here in the year 2020 who's been following along with the direct podcast. Merry Christmas and a happy holidays to all of you. And uh, we hope that we can give you the gift of great content heading into 2021. Um, but Liam, you know, before we dive into the sizzle reel and start talking about our Wonder Woman 1984 review, our bow, very bow, first bow. movie review on the direct podcast. Very exciting. Um, before we get into all that, I wanted to ask you, um, me and you both, we live in uh, pretty populated areas of the country and we were unable to go to theaters and watch Wonder Woman last night or today. Um, you know, it sucks, but times are the times we, we both opted to be safe instead of risk it. And I was going to ask how was watching such a big budget, amazing release film streaming on HBO max from the comfort of your own home? Because like me, I'm sure you would 10 times out of 10, go see this in theaters any other day of the week. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case this time. I want to know just what your overall thought on the experience was. Without diving yeah. too much into the movie, of course. Of course, of course. Um, I did appreciate that I could just kind of sit down, put my blankets on, get my sparkling water, get my Lindor chocolates, and just click play and not Ooh. have to worry about. Yeah, I'm a big Lindor chocolates guy, and I got love a, Lindor chocolates. A ton of them for Christmas. Santa was very kind this year. Um, but okay. it was it was nice to not have to worry about you know uh, buying tickets too far in advance and getting the right seats and not being too close to the screen. But at the end of the day, man, I, I miss the experience. I, I feel like uh -huh. we'll get more into it with the review, but I said this to you before we hit record that I I feel like I might've enjoyed this movie more if I had the experience with it. And okay. that's not to say that the movie could have been like that much more propelled, but like there's just something about the association of sitting on a couch and not having a crowd of people that are going to get annoyed if you touch your phone uh, and it's easy to get distracted and... I mean, I, my eyes were glued. I wasn't like, you know, lost in, in anything else when I was watching it. But at the same time, I, I wished I was in that environment with the with the buzz and everything. And it, it's the same thing as sporting events. You know, at the end of the day, like when you right. watch a game on your couch, you can get excited. You can have a great time. But the atmosphere changes the game completely when you're there in person. So but how was your experience? Well, that was a pretty great segue because uh, sporting events is what I thought of as well because I saw a lot of pros and cons within the experience of watching it um, at home. I watched it with my fiance Aaron. Um, you know, it was at the end of our Christmas day, so we got nice and settled down, made a couple drinks, set the lights with my new uh, smart lights. So we had a pink light in the back and then the Christmas tree in the front. It was a great Wonder Woman vibe. Um, so get to set your own vibe, have your own drinks, do your own thing. That was cool. But a lot like sporting events, I think about football a lot. Going to a live football game is a pretty incredible thing. Um, it's the experience of a big win that really is, you know, what is great about a live football game. Obviously, we all know baseball is better live than on TV. I, don't, I think that's fact at this point. 100%. Um, yeah. And now I don't think anybody's going to argue with that, even the old lace heads um, that would like <laughs> to argue with about that. I think baseball is best on the radio, personally. Um, but anyway, there is a point to be made about the football experience on a TV at your house. Rather, it's just you and a couple friends, you and your significant other, a big party you're having for a big football game. That's a completely different and equally awesome environment. You know what I mean? Football Sundays on your couch with the announcers, you know, good or bad, 
um, you know, you get all the stats on the screen, you get updates, replays, all that stuff. That is another awesome experience. So I was thinking about that while watching this movie a lot because it was cool to be able to chit chat in the in-between moments with Aaron and talk about, you know, some things that we realized from the past, you know, few moments of the movie. Um, there was a lot of opportunities for that in this movie. There's a lot of moments without dialogue where we can kind of ask each other questions or, you know, make a quick little comment. And that was fun. You know, I enjoyed being able to deliberate throughout the movie. We were able to pause um, if needed, which, you know, it sounds super simple, but whatever. Where the negatives came to play, though, and this is why I miss movie theaters. We got a call from her stepdad in the middle of it that we had to answer. That sucked, having to pause the movie for a little while. Um, we have a little 10-month-old puppy. He needed to go out to the restroom in the middle of it. That sucked that we had to pause you know, for a little while to make that happen. Um, anytime we wanted a snack or go to the bathroom or whatever, it had to be paused. Um, you know, Those are things that when you're in the movie theater, it seems limiting, but it's also reassuring that you know this movie's going to start and end and no one's going to pause it or mess it up or call you in the middle of it, whatever. Um, but like you said, I miss the experience. I miss the environment. Um, I'm always going to be a movie theater guy. Till you know, even if this becomes a permanent thing, I will be a movie theater purist. However, um, it was nice being able to watch it at home, especially for the people like us who couldn't go see it in theaters. So, um, yeah, guys, uh, this movie's like, like Liam said in our uh, primer episode, history had its eyes on this movie, and uh, performance be damned, the streaming execution I thought was done well. And uh, we're going to see how it goes moving forward. Yeah, I just want to add one thing you said about the experience. I am notorious for getting ready to do something, going on my phone, being like, I'll just go through a couple of TikToks. And next thing you know, an hour or two passes. I really, really wished I had that kind of appointment television date, appointment yep. movie theater date where it was like movie starts at 10, got to be in the theater. It starts and it finishes at midnight or 1230 or whatever. I started this movie at like one in the morning on Christmas night because I had my mind in all different locations. Uh, I got through about half of it, finished the rest of it today. And while that's nice for convenience sake, I would have much rather sat down, got the full experience, no pausing, no interruptions um, in a theater with, a, with an atmosphere. But that being said, we'll get into what we like, what we didn't like about Wonder Woman 1984 in just a little bit. But right now we are gonna kick things off with our top news headlines. You know it, you love it. It's the sizzle reel. First up, it has been reported on the Disney Latino website that WandaVision will release a new episode every Friday for eight weeks, confirming at least eight episodes for the highly anticipated MCU phase four opener, which is less three weeks away. And in more WandaVision news, we have learned through new promotional trailers that Scarlet Witch's early run-ins with Loki's Scepter, the same staff that held the Mind Stone, will continue to play a huge role in the show and that it is very likely that we will get a deeper explanation of just how she got her powers. Heading over to DC side of things, we just need to report right now, just in case you missed it, that Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max has a mid credit scene if you haven't seen it pause this podcast go watch it come back hit play we'll pick up right where we left off we'll see you soon 
And welcome back. This is some fun news. In a recent interview with Grace Randolph on Beyond the Trailer, Zack Snyder revealed that his cut of the Justice League will feature around 2,800 visual effect shots. For context, Infinity War and Endgame had roughly 2,500. I can guarantee you that none of these shots will take place on Henry Cavill's upper lip. And finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, we have a little more clarity on the release of Mandalorian Season 3. While it is for sure going to be a separate story from the Book of Boba Fett set to release in December of 2021, a recent Disney preview kit showcased all the Star Wars and Marvel releases expected for next year. The Mandalorian was notably absent. Expect a 2022 release for Mando 3. And Liam, that was a lot of news. Some WandaVision, some DC stuff, some Snyder cuts, some Mando stuff. Tons going on this week. What a week it has been. But I first, of course, want to talk about my girl, Wanda Maximoff. WandaVision, less than three weeks away. Man, oh man, am I excited to say that. Um, so we got a couple different things that we could pick apart here. First off, let's just talk formatting. At least eight episodes. We have become accustomed to the Disney Plus eight episode model from the Mandalorian seasons one and two. Um, this isn't shocking by any means, but um, you know there could be a potential for more if they decide to double up at any point. It is Marvel. You know they give us what we want. You know I don't know how else to say it. What do you think of the eight episode model as opposed to maybe the six episode model people thought might happen, considering these are much higher budget. Well, I'm just glad that the eight episode model only now is going to wrap up, you know, with just one buffer week between WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier. Because I don't know about you, Matt, and I know we kind of got, you know, teased last night with uh, with Wonder Woman 84, but these next two weeks, next three weeks are going to be pretty long. Like this content drought was not easy over COVID times. And now that it's back, I want it to stay. And with all the announcements promised for 2021, I'm excited to just immediately keep going each and every week show wraps up a new show begins so i'm glad that it's not going to be six episodes because i think that with how wacky this story is going to get sure they could probably tell it in six episodes if they cut out some of the fluff but i think the beauty of what the show is going to be is that patient storytelling i guarantee we're going to come on these airwaves in a couple weeks and there will be wandavision episodes where we say felt like a filler felt like it kind of dragged here But I also guarantee when we get to those episodes six, seven, eight, we're going to say it was all worth it. It all came together. So I like a longer-ish season. Was expecting nine episodes. Could that mean they double up for the opener? Who knows? As we know, Marvel took a year off. They might want to just give us double the presence and give us a two-part pilot. But regardless, I'm just excited for the show uh, to get kicking. You know, I... I was incredibly loud and adamant about the first three to four episodes of the Mandalorian, you know, being filler in that I appreciated how fun they were and the, you know, slight character development that we saw from each, but I was pretty vocal about my frustration with the lack of progression within the major storyline, moving the ball down the field. Like I like to say, Um, I was proven wrong. Egg was on my face and I gush now over that, amazing storytelling and character development we got in the slow start of the beginning of mandalorian season two and the high impact ending um i thought it was perfect i thought it was masterful so i am all in on any sort of long form storytelling that we can get from disney plus shows like wandavision um you will not hear me say 
a single negative word about a Wanda Maximoff character episode. You know, I'm all in in a bag of chips. And on the other hand, if you're going to tell me you don't want, you know, 50 minutes of Paul Bettany just telling us how it is, I'm going to call you a liar because, you know, he's going he's to be electric in this show. We can just tell from the new footage that we've seen, you know, a little more uh, vision backstory stuff we've seen from the past week or so of new WandaVision promo footage. They're not doing any sort of big release trailers. They're just adding a little bit here and there, piecing the puzzle together, you know, for that big pilot. Um, so what do you think, Liam, of the, you know, new uh, story development that we've learned um, being the Loki scepter from Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron and you know how that's going to play into the overall story that seems to be Wanda's backstory how she got her powers how they used uh Hydra that is how they used Loki's scepter testing it on Pietro and Wanda and them getting their powers it really seems like that's the story we're going to be getting in one of these episodes probably an early one um what do you think about getting you know that element back into the MCU in a storytelling device instead of a weapon or plot device? Well, I'm very, very glad you asked me this question, Matt, because I have a theory. I've got a theory. I have oh, a theory with guys, Liam has a theory. Breaking news: I have a theory. Let me get settled here. Let me get nice and settled. Okay. So as we know, when Avengers: Age of Ultron came out. It was 2015. Fox still had the rights to all the X-Men. So when they referred to Wanda and Pietro, they referred to them as miracles. They referred to them as enhanced beings. They couldn't use the word mutant. Now that they have the rights, and they've had the rights for some time, since before WandaVision's script was even written, they can now have the ability to go back and fill in some of that mysterious origins with, what, with the new uh, intellectual property they have now, which is the right to have mutants. So what I think, I think it was the Wakanda Files or one of the books that is MCU canon that expanded upon more stuff. Wakanda um, Files. Wakanda Files. Mm -hmm. uh, Shuri said that the reason why Hydra was doing experiments in Sokovia was because Sokovians had the genetic makeup that they would be like most accustomed to experiments. Like it would work the best on them. It wasn't saying sure. that they were mutants per se, but that they had like a dormant, potentially mutant gene and the scepter activated them. So here's where I get wild with my theory. I think that the way they introduced mutants into the MCU was that they're already among us because when Thanos snapped and dusted half the population, a byproduct of that snap was he activated the mutant gene. And the reason why I have evidence for that is Wanda's messing with the stone, breaks it apart, big yellow glow comes out, leading me to believe that little explosion was when she got her telekinesis, not telekinesis powers, whatever they are. He's fast and she's weird. Her whatever. witch powers. Her witch powers. And then Pietro got his, his super speed. My theory is that her messing with the Infinity Stone, nice little trade-off there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Terry Mana, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, whenever you want to come on and plug your tequila, we will have you on every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Open it. Terry Mana. Anyways, um, when she- Not a sponsor. When she makes that, yeah, honestly, we'll take on Terry Mana as a sponsor. We'll do Absolutely. it for free. We'll advertise it for free, The Rock. Just come on for five I'm, minutes. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when she made the Mind Stone make that big like explosion and it activated their powers, who's to say that when all six stones are combined in a, a uh, what what rocket call it, a, an explosion of seismic proportions? An, ex an explosion of seismic proportions like the earth's never seen before. 
Thanos snapped his fingers, Earth became ground zero for a power surge of ridiculously cosmic proportions. No one's ever seen anything like it. Right. And so when that happens across the entire galaxy, solid rocket impression, might yep, I add. Yep, yep, yep. I, I think that activated the mutant gene within the entire population. Anyone that had it within them, it now was awakened. And I think we're going to get a bit of explanation into that in this series. Will we see mutants in the show remains to be seen. Will we see Magneto in the show remains to be seen. But I do think this little bit is the first indication that mutants are coming in that the, the events to bring them into the MCU have already been laid. The groundwork's been laid. Liam, you just laid out my favorite theory for phase four, five, and six of the MCU. This is something that I have been touting for years now. Um, you know, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. It, it, it's a great theory. It's, it's the exact same thought I have toward mutants in the MCU. For those who don't know, in the comics, uh, both Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, respectively, are mutants. They are you know, more primarily a part of the Avengers team. You know, as superheroes, as cast members, you can call them, but they are mutants. They are the son and daughter of Magneto, you know, obviously top three most famous and powerful mutant of all time. Um, so, you know, for years and years, people have been saying that Wanda is the key to mutants in the MCU because of her comic background. And, you know, there's a bunch of different parts of the MCU that have been hinting at this for a long, long, long time. Liam just laid out a few of them. I just want to go through a few more. I want to reiterate Rocket's statement. Um, when Thanos snapped, when Wanda blew up the stone, when Hulk snapped, when Tony snapped, when snaps or Infinity Stone events happen, we get a seismic explosion around the Earth of energy, of, of, of Infinity Stone magic, we can call it, right? If, if that magic or energy turned on the mutant gene within Wanda and Pietro, I agree. It makes sense that anybody with that gene across the world can develop it. Um, there's there's a post credit scene in, I believe it is Captain America Winter Soldier, where yeah. it shows uh, Doctor Strucker with Loki's scepter testing, uh, performing tests on Wanda and Pietro. The first time we see them, he has an incredible dialogue in this scene, and he says, "You know, Shield Hydra." They are no more. This isn't the age of power. This isn't even the age of superheroes anymore. This is the age of miracles. There's nothing more horrifying than a miracle. He says that, and then we go right to Pietro. We go right to Wanda. Our first look at mutants in the MCU. The age of miracles. Something he has done. Something he has unlocked has been touted as a miracle within the MCU. I personally believe that miracle is the discovery of mutants. I think that's the most important post credit scene in the entire MCU, and it's my favorite by far, just because of the context around it. One last thing I want to just spew about you know, with, with this theory. It literally is my favorite theory in the MCU. Um, obviously, this show, WandaVision, is going to pull heavily from the amazing you know, historic comic book run house of M. Um, and you know, for those who aren't familiar, this is a story within the Marvel universe, a huge crossover event with all the heroes of the Marvel universe where Wanda Maximoff has lost her fucking mind. And she has created an alternate reality for everybody in the Marvel universe. And there's just a handful of, 
of characters who are aware of this reality being a you know a fake one um them being in an alternate reality wolverine's kind of the main character throughout the whole thing and um yada 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 spoiler 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 at the end of this comic book run she finds out that it's been pietro who has been kind of manipulating her to create this reality because he wants to heed to his family's legacy of mutant dominance like magneto right Wanda's fed up with it, and she says the three most famous words in Marvel comic history, no more mutants. And in an instance, because she's so powerful, she eliminates the mutant gene from 95% of the mutant population. I think what the MCU is going to end up doing in the long haul with Wanda, with her powers, with the Mind Stone, with, with all this unlockingness that's happening, my flip the script. She's lost everything. She lost her brother. She lost her humanity in the events of Captain America's Civil War. They don't give green cards or weapons of mass destruction. Well, and then she lost the only thing she's ever loved in Vision twice. You took everything from me, Wanda says. She's pissed. You know what she wants? She wants more people like her, more mutants. That's my big prediction. That's what I want to happen. That's the exact sequence of events I hope does happen. Obviously, I'm going to be wrong. There's no way I'm 100% correct, but I do think they've turned it on its head and Wanda asked the world for more mutants. And she, just like the Mind Stone did for her and potentially the Snap did for a lot of other people, unlocks the gene throughout the world in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Boom. And where is one of the first locations we're going to in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the first series that picks up after WandaVision ends? Madripoor, an island native to Wolverine. It all makes sense. Oh, stop. Are you serious? I'm serious. Did you not read my trailer breakdown? Is that happening? Well, if you read my trailer We're going to Madripoor? I did. I skimmed it. Yo! It's a lot. Dude. Oh, man. If we get Logan in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like, hey, little teaser to our wish list later hey hey um yeah so yeah nice nice. Uh, i i think i think we have learned a lot about wandavision over this past week i'm so excited for it to be eight episodes they have time to tell their story we just went on and on about it tune in in two or three weeks for our wandavision primer episode because it's gonna be a long one um let's move on real quick to um this fun Zack snyder news Zack Snyder has revealed that there's going to be 2,800 visual effects shots in his director's cut of the Justice League. Like Liam said, and this is a real for comparison, both Infinity War and Endgame, uh, not collectively, each of them had roughly 2,500 shots. Keep in mind, the main character of Infinity War is a completely CGI character. So it is pretty intense. Zack Snyder is going to have more visual effects shots in a movie than a movie that the main character was a CGI character. Liam, what do you think about Zack Snyder's um, amount of Vizex that he's going to present in the Snyder Cut? Well, I mean, we also got to factor in, it's four hours long. You, you sure. know, like just by comparison, um, when you take a movie like Endgame that had 2,500 and it was three hours, you add another hour, it seems proportional. But at the same time, it is cool. I mean, we love visual effects shots. It's what makes these comic book movies go around when they're done right. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. You know, we've seen some poor CGI before. <laughs> we, we've seen Including some, the Snyder Cut trailer. <laughs> we've seen some poor CGI in the Snyder Cut trailer and a and a recent DC movie. We can get to that in just a bit. Um, oh. But it's it's 
cool to see that he's doing what he does best. Uh, that's kind of Matt's thought. Uh, we were talking about it before we hit record. Um, Zack Snyder is a visual director. One thing I think we can all agree on, despite his story flaws and his, his dialogue flaws, I think we can all agree he's great at action and he's great at making these gorgeous cinematography, cinematographic, whatever you want Cinematic. to call it cinematic shots shots that belong on a canvas on your wall shots yep. that belong in a scrapbook full of frames from movies so i mean it's cool and i'm cautiously optimistic going to the snyder cut i'm always going to say that every time we talk about this project because it's not a what movie, is this movie it's not a show it's a project <laughs> um but yeah man I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts what what positive things do you have to say about this Zack snyder news i think this movie is going to be really beautiful um, I think yeah. it's going to be a really good looking movie. A lot of the problems with the visuals in the first release of the Justice League, keep in mind we already saw this movie. Um, you know, Joss Whedon put his own touch on it after a lot of the core had been recorded. So the lighting, the costumes, the coloring, all of it, you know, when you think about pre production for a movie like this, every single color on every single costume, every single light that hits every character at every moment is considered when you're thinking of um, post-production. You know, when, when we go to edit the coloring of this scene, the way that Superman's suit looks while recording is a big factor in that. Joss Whedon obviously took a much more colorful and suppressed and crushed and um, more Avengers 2012 style look in post-production after Zack Snyder had recorded a lot of darker, grittier Batman versus Superman type stuff. So a lot of the problems with the visual effects in the original Justice League, I don't blame on Zack Snyder at all, just because he didn't plan for what Joss Whedon and his team ended up doing in post-production. Um, a mistake on Whedon's team, I think, just to sacrifice the quality just to get your tone across. So that being said, I think with when people talk about Zack Snyder's original vision for this movie, I have a hard time believing they're talking about his storytelling or his character development because that seems to be going nowhere. But from a visual standpoint, I think the original vision that we're going to see is going to be stunning. Um, characters, however, our first look at Doomsday in that, not Doomsday, I'm sorry, what's his name? Dark Side. Dark Side. Dark Side yeah. um, in that trailer, I think um, my co-host here, very accurately pointed out that he looks like a PS2 cutscene character. Selling point of this trailer that they kept teasing was he's coming. Here he is. Right. The, the, the Omega symbol. It's Dark Side. They show him in the first 10 seconds. He is a PS2 cutscene. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah. Um, he's right. He's right. It's it's not the best looking CGI villain we've seen, especially after the world of Thanos and Josh Brolin that we've been introduced to like that, that cartoon could have won Oscars. You know what I mean? So the bar is set high, especially for someone as important as Darkseid and Stephen Wolf and Lex Luthor and Joker, blah, 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 blah. However, I think this movie is going to be stunning. And I think um, visual effects with good pre-production from Zack Snyder is going to result in a man of steel level of cinematic beauty which that's that's a really awesome looking movie so um you know i i just i hope for that at least right so that's right. all we can do um speaking of dc speaking of dc speaking of Zack snyder speaking of Zack snyder. speaking of the dceu the dceu 
That's right. The uh, DC Extended Universe. We're going to dive into our Wonder Woman 1984, directed by Miss Patty Jenkins. Review. Welcome in to our first ever direct podcast movie review this week. Wonder Woman 1984 released on Christmas Day 2020 in theaters across the world and HBO Max streaming right in your living room. Liam, this is the first big movie released post-pandemic struggles. We have a full slate of movies partially all in the books ready to be released next year. As you said, in our Wonder Woman 1984 primer, history has its eyes on this film. Um, We talked about the logistics of the release from a streaming and box office standpoint. But now it's time to dive into the movie itself. I want your initial thoughts on the two hour and 32 minute long Wonder Woman 1984. All right. So... This this movie is a tale of two halves. Okay, let, let me let me say that off. Halves, <laughs> two halves, and the reason why I say that is because um, I did watch this movie in two sittings. I, I started it last night around one in the morning Eastern time, and not not because I was bored. I was legitimately getting sleepy. You know, it was a late night, so I, I pressed pause, finished it um, this morning. I went to bed not very happy that it it was. Uh, I don't know how this is Roughly possible. What scene did you? I'm sorry to interrupt. Roughly what scene did you go to bed? Just so I can kind of get in your mind space here. When they were in Egypt, I believe it's Egypt, and they're driving and they're they're chasing Maxwell Lord's new goons. Oh, the chase scene. Yeah. Okay. Before, all right. Yeah. Before it really kicked up, though, they had just Fantastic. bought the car. Fantastic. From the you got. So, it. Right, oh, right, right by on. the way. Full spoilers, by the way. You know, spoilers, 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 spoilers. It's kind of a. We need to be better at that. We promise we will be better at that. We're gonna start. (laughs) We're gonna start warning in advance more often. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, I went to bed wondering how it was possible that such a fast-paced movie could drag, because that's how it felt in the first half. And then I I finished uh, the second half uh, not too long ago, and uh, I mean. You know, the meme, you know, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. I didn't necessarily love the second half, but at the same time, it was 10 times better than the first half. I did not care for the first half whatsoever, in my opinion. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that the second half is going to win any Oscars, is, is really any anything great, but it was at least more compelling and more entertaining than what went down in the first half. Uh, I guess those are my initial thoughts, Matt. Uh, what, what are we thinking about ww84 it's interesting um i i thought the first 40 minutes of this movie were better than anything that came after it personally really um yeah yeah i uh i was excited as all hell going in this movie had some of the best promotion i've seen in a long time i mostly say that because the artwork um you know posters magazine covers stuff like that just astonishing it's some of my favorite stuff i love the ww84 promotion campaign and will forever however um i i was really excited going in i loved the opening scene and i liked um the introduction of the characters that we spent the next two and a half hours with um it started falling flat for me rather quickly 
Um, you know, before we dive into what we like, what we don't like, I just need to preface this because I just feel like such a pessimist when I approach a movie the way I'm about to approach it. Um, I recognize what people are going to like about this movie. Okay. I recognize people are going to say it was fun. I recognize people are going to say it was awesome to see Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig, you know, be the main parts of a big cinematic movie like this. And it was the girl power stuff. Unbelievable. Gal Gadot, 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 who cares? Um, Whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig. Congratulations on making such a great female chemistry within a movie, which is such a rare thing that we do not get. That doesn't revolve around a guy. You know what I mean? This was two women having a great friendship and relationship that, you know, goes through ups and downs. I really appreciated those two and their chemistry throughout the thing. I understand people are going to look at the emotional aspects of this movie, the uh, Diana and Steve stuff. I understand that that stuff really resonated with a lot of people. I get it. Everything enjoyable about this movie for me personally was overshadowed by the core foundation that this movie lacked. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I understand why some people would like this movie. For me personally, I could not buy in for a single second as soon as they introduced the MacGuffin and the main plot of this movie. Yeah. So let's, let's get this out of the way, which I hate to say in our first movie review, but let's get out of the way the things we liked about this movie so we can dive into the things we didn't like, which I assume for Liam as well as myself will be the majority of this review. Okay, so my favorite moment of this movie, and it's so little, and I think it kind of defines uh, how well this movie was received with me. Um, when Diane is giving her speech um, and Maxwell Lord is staring up into the blue light, oh, more, more, more wishes, and whatever, weird uh, genie. Um, she, <laughs> she's giving her speech, um, but underneath is a beautiful lie from Batman v Superman. One thing, I guess. Really? Uh, over, yeah, over the yeah, we reported it on the direct a couple weeks ago, and I was listening for it throughout this movie. And I guess you guys might learn this about me as these episodes continue. I am a big scores and soundtracks guy. I sure. love a good film score, and Batman v Superman for all its flaws. Man, oh man, did Hans Zimmer and Incredible. Junkie XL Incredible. kill that score? <laughs> That, like the theme is great, but but even the the emotional moments mm -hmm. when it's Absolutely. more soft and and uh, string string quartets and stuff. Star like Wars that. stuff. Yeah, beautiful lie while she's giving her speech. Maybe if I go back and read the dialogue, maybe it's a, a corny and campy speech. But for whatever reason, that score really just emphasized it. So I loved mm -hmm. that aspect. Uh, I love the color of this movie. I, yep. I like that it was bright and vibrant i love the subtitle 1984 i don't know what it is about odd year like random years for a subtitle of a movie like 2001 a space odyssey blade runner 2049 but something about the movie just the title 1984 just fits so well with the ww ww84 is a great name i don't know why it's just like aesthetically pleasing to me it's the um, hashtag it's the yeah, hashtag yeah, it is. The hashtag it's, is sweet. Hashtag WW84 is great hashtag. And then you get the nice little Twitter emoji too yes. with, with yes. the logo. And then, awesome. I mean, 
I liked Pedro Pascal after we got to crazy Pedro Pascal. I didn't care for businessman, you know, walking around all, all weird, but I, I did kind of like um, how he embodied, you know, all this, this power was having a negative effect on him. I remember, uh, uh, obviously, when the prequels came out, I wasn't, you know, talking about comic book movies and Star Wars on podcasts, but a good theory I saw that people were upset about with the prequels was that they didn't like that Palpatine's face looked like that because it was lightning back in his face. The whole theory in like the 80s was the dark side was like a drug. And just for so long and years and years of using it, Palpatine's face looked like a drug addict because he, he had just been using the dark side so much. I loved that Pedro Pascal, uh, Maxwell Lord, the more he wished and the more he had people use his power for him, his eyes went a little bloodshot. He was bleeding from the nose. His tie was getting looser. His hair was all ruffled. I like that aspect. And that's it. Um, all right. Turn, Matt. <laughs> um, Liam just defended the prequels. Uh, so things I liked about this movie, I'm going to start this off hot. Um, the costume, hair, and makeup department for Wonder Woman 1984. I need all of you who are listening to stand up and take a bow because you are the heroes of this film. I'm going to stick to the hair for, I mean, uh, real quick, the costumes overall, wonderful. I think Maxwell Lord suits were hilarious and appropriate. I think Kristen Wiig, every single time she stepped on screen, I sat up a little bit because her outfit was fire. Gal Gadot's uh, mall scene, Wonder Woman uniform. I don't think it changes throughout the movie at all, but just the way they presented it with the lighting of that big giant Washington DC mall, unbelievable like it was so incredible it was it was straight out of a donor superman movie from way back in the 70s and 80s it was incredible i love the costumes but the hair i gotta talk about the hair oh my god was the hair amazing in this yeah. movie gal Gadot's hair was stunning every single time she was on screen because it was 80s and huge and thick i felt like i could swing from it on a tree Kristen Wiig's hair evolved throughout this movie. Literally, yeah. like that was our indication of progression with Kristen Wiig's character was her hair. And it was so sexy and it was so intense and I loved it. And uh, Maxwell Lord, the, the Puerto Rican Donald Trump hair that they pulled off <laughs> for this guy was incredible. I just, I, I was, I, you can, you know, you can ask my fiance who I watched this with. I was obsessed with the hair every single step of the way throughout this movie. Fantastic job. Um, <laughs> no, I, I do have a couple of things I liked in this movie. I liked the role reversal for uh, Steve Trevor and Diana Prince as far as yeah. uh, Diana Prince being elevated into the new world during World War One in the original Wonder Woman movie. Now the roles are reversed and Steve Trevor, a pilot from World War One, is being introduced to the weird wild 80s. I thought all of that was extremely well done and awesome. I like that they let Kristen Wiig literally be an SNL character for the first 30 minutes of this movie. Yeah, She was literally allowed to be any SNL character she wanted. Yeah, you know, I, I, I said that too. But, you know, I'm just going to stuff like that. So hilarious. It's, she is my top three SNL characters, uh, uh, cast members of all time. My childhood was put into this movie uh, through Kristen Wiig. So bravo to you for being able to do that in the opening scene 
I loved the real world road rules challenge scene as I'm trying to get it called. Um, you know, the race, the obstacle course, whatever you want to call it. It was so cool. It was so creative. And I thought, you know, the colors were just amazing you know, because everything was like gold and brown and like bronze and like, you know, really, uh, um, you know, really like Greek and, you know, ancient, but then, you know, when they hit the smoke and the flags dropped, it was super colorful and it was Wonder Woman colors. I love the opening scene. The first 10, 15 minutes of this movie, I was hooked. And those are all the nice things I have to say about this film. So, so you want to get think, into what we didn't like? Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't want to come off like this podcast just hates DC stuff. You know what I mean? No, we've I wanted to like this movie. I wanted I to like it so bad. So badly. And I don't think that this movie had the same brand of bad that other DC movies may have had. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. like I think Batman vs Superman is a slap in the face to real, you know, good storytelling comic book movie fans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think this movie was that. I just think it was such a disappointment as far as the storytelling and innovativeness and creativity that they could have put in. And we're going to get into the details. Liam, let's, let's hear what you have to say negatively about Wonder Woman 1984. For, yeah, let, uh, let's ping pong this shit. What sure. is the first thing you didn't like about this movie? Sweet yeah. Just at, at the, just at the beginning, as soon as we introduced that the story was a magic rock that you touch and it grants your wishes. Like, I'm sorry. It's just like, that's that's so 20th century. Like I one thing I, I was texting some of my friends because when my friends were asking my thoughts on, on it and if I had seen it and all that. And one of the things I said to a lot of people was this movie, they had two options. They could make a movie set in the 80s or they could make an 80s movie. There is a difference. And they hmm. made an they made an 80s movie. Like there, there's so many elements of just campiness and and story tropes that are played out. And the whole magic rock evil businessman gets whatever he wants and nuclear warheads go off but we already we, we know they're not going to land because they never do and of course it'll all come full circle in the end i just they never it, do it, it, it right they never do they never apocalypse do. they never land the no, Avengers no. hey but that was awesome though that, that was awesome that was awesome it was one it was first class but that was awesome <laughs> There was one in Apocalypse though, when when Jesus. Apocalypse sets off the nuclear warheads, and there's Those one. <laughs> there's one really cool Super Bowl ad with Coldplay playing, and the the warheads go up in very slow motion. It's beautiful cinema uh, cinematically, but again, it doesn't make story sense. Sounds a lot like this movie. Yeah, sounds a lot like this movie. But like you said, um, how you kind of fell apart after the first forty minutes. As soon as they introduced that story trope, you kind of lost me because I, I didn't know. Oh, well, I, not that I didn't know. I did know exactly how it was going to kind of play out. You know that he's going to wish more and more. He's going to get more crazy. And then there's going to have to be some resolution where the world can't turn to shit. Because at the end of the day, it is a prequel. We know stuff is resolved when we resume life in 2013 with Man of Steel. So, yeah, uh, that's that's my biggest glaring critique, Matt. Uh, what do you got to add? I'll piggyback off yours. It's not my biggest thing, but um, the stone thing. The, the wish stone is uh, what, what do they call it? The, uh, the dream stone, the dream stone. It looked cool. Cool looking artifact. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, I understand that, 
you know, if you can just like accept that that is the MacGuffin of the story and that's going to be the plot device, a stone that if you touch it and ask it for a wish, you get that wish. I get, I get that being okay. It's not my favorite. Like you said, it's campy. It's eighties. I can understand people accepting that and enjoying the movie past it. Right. My thing was when Maxwell Lord wished to become the stone. And now instead of, instead of a, an object that he has to protect, he has to hold on to navigate, you know, uh, money in the bank. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is my, this is my magic briefcase. I'm going to hold on to it. You're not going to get it from me instead of that played out, but you know, somewhat interesting story device, he becomes the stone. And now instead of an object that anyone could tuck and make touch and make a wish, we have a guy going around grabbing people on the arm saying, what do you wish for? And they don't know why. And they don't know what's happening, but they wish for it. Oh, and now he gets his way. I, 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 I can accept people suspending belief and making the Dreamstone um, a part of the story. As soon as a person becomes the Dreamstone and now we have this kooky, you know, touch my hand and wish for something. And he literally throughout an hour and a half of this movie is going up to people, grabbing them and saying, what do you wish for? I bet it's this. Don't you wish for that? And they just all say yes. And it happens. And they do not explain not a one single time why when that person makes a wish, Maxwell Lord then gets a favor in return. The stone didn't get a favor in return. Why does this guy? It's it's the it's the doubling down on the weird wish stone thing and making a wish master who doesn't seem to know how it works. That was not my biggest, but another thing that I couldn't stand about this movie. I'm gonna move on to my number two so we can get to yours um, in a second. Just you know, transition. Chris Pine, <laughs> Steve Trevor. You and Gal Gadot, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot, have some of the best on-screen chemistry in recent comic book movies. I really believe that. In the first Wonder Woman, it was my favorite part of the movie. In this movie, Wonder Woman 1984, they were magnificent. Two gorgeous people who really seemed to like each other. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, they really seemed to get along. I love their chemistry. I love their relationship. But the way they brought back Steve Trevor was Gal Gadot wished that he came back and they did the quantum leap thing. They did the, he's not, he's not really back, but if, if Diana looks at this random person in her head, she sees Steve Trevor. I didn't like that right away when they introduced him at the party. You know, where it was obviously a different person, but she sees Chris Pine and they're magically back together. It's the mirror scene, man. When they had Chris Pine looking into a mirror and that other dude was looking back and it just solidified in rock and stone, Fred Flintstone style. Every other person in this world is seeing a different person. That's not Chris Pine. So throughout the rest of the movie, from that point on, we all have to know and live with the fact that we are only seeing the imagination of Diana Prince. It took me out of every single emotional chemistry beat that those two shared for the rest of the movie. It's I understand that, that people are going to say that's nitpicky and well, why can't you just get over and accept that's what happened? It's because it's that stupid. I, I just can't get over the fact 
that the way they brought him back was in Diana's imagination. And then, and then people are going to talk about their goodbye scene, their second goodbye scene. I, I, it was well-written. I think that they acted the hell out of that scene. It was great. They showed great emotion in reality though, on paper, they said goodbye. She walks away and off screen, we hear Chris Pine saying, I love you forever, Diana. <laughs> Off screen. I love you forever, Diana. And she says, I renounce my wish. And that was it. Oh, man, did that fall flat for me. So um, as much as I love their chemistry and their back and forth, you know, like I said, the role reversal of the, you know, now Steve Trevor's sitting in the future and is being explained things. Well, well, they can. Can they shoot at us? Well, shit, Diana. Like, that was hilarious, right? I was taken out of all of it because they did the Quantum Leap thing, and I thought that was terrible, personally. Uh, Liam, what is your number two negative point on this movie? Yeah, real quick, just to build on that. Um, mm. I really I didn't like how they brought him back, but what I will say is if I'm going to allow myself to immerse in this story and pretend right. that, like, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. I to think enjoy the movie. To enjoy yeah, to, the movie. If I'm going to enjoy this movie, I think that was the best way to bring him back. I don't think you needed to bring him back, but the idea of Diana succumbs to this evil power because it will give her what she wants. And then in reality, she has to renounce it and lose it a second time. Man, I'm getting a lot of WandaVision vibes right now. Maybe maybe we're going to see something. Wait. I, I don't so get it wrong. Better. It's gonna it's be going so much to, better. <laughs> it's going to be much better executed, but it, it did kind of give me those familiar tones of like the one she loves is back, but not really subliminally. And she's going to have to say goodbye a second, a third time. In that, in the context of the story, it made sense. I'm glad that I honestly, my theory going in was that when he, when the plane exploded, he like fell out and crashed into Themyscira again. And I thought they were going to say, well, time moves differently on Themyscira and he's been here for 80 years. But to him, it's only been, it's only been five hours and you know, like all that stuff. What but a good movie I'm, that was. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think this, the way they brought him back served the story the best way possible. Does that mean they should have brought him back? Does that mean he, he, the story was good? No, but I think his placements within the confines of what they wrote made sense. People want to come at me. People will come at me when I write an article saying that the uh, um, kiss me once and kiss me twice. And kiss. it's been a long, yeah. long time is the yeah. best song used in the MCU, which it is because yeah. because Steve and Peggy finally get their dance together. People want to come at me and say, well, what about uh, Peggy's husband and kids whose lives were completely turned around because Steve wanted to be selfish and have his own way? What about freaking Diana <laughs> dragging this guy around the world? And he has no idea it's happening. Like this random person is now introduced into this story for no, no reason other than so we can get Chris Pine in the movie. It's just it, like, like I, I understand people's ability to suspend belief and accept it and enjoy the movie. It took me out of every single scene. I just can't, I can't get behind it. Um, so Liam, we never got to it. What is another <laughs> thing? Another negative to this movie. And again, guys, we're not trying to just trash on this film. These are our real thoughts. Um, Kristen Wiig as Electro. Oh, no. I mean, Cheetah. Um, she was Electro. <laughs> like, let's be real. Yeah, she you was. know, you're my eyes and ears out here. I wish to be like Diana. I wish to be Spider-Man. 
Yeah, right. Oh my god, it, we have Max Dillon. Max Dillon in Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man <Dillon>. too. <laughs> so yeah, um, I thought she's a, she's a great actress, and I love that this is a major role for her. Probably the most um, cinematic attention she's gotten since leaving SNL. I mean, other than I think Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, but you know, smaller budget, you know, limited sure. release movies. While this is, you know, a blockbuster. That, yeah, she she was great in this role. Mm-hmm. I also don't get me wrong. I love Jamie Foxx as Electro Max Dillon. Yeah. He understands it's campy and wacky, and he's coming off that that Django high, and he's gonna get his big cash uh, uh, check from from the Amazing Spider-Man two, and he embraced it. And I think Kristen Wiig did the best she could with this role. But the idea of, oh, I wish to be like Diana. And then she's now just as strong. And then she's a, at one point, she wishes to be the apex predator, which made no sense. Um, Very strange to me. Yeah, also, yeah, you get one wish and they broke that rule. But, you know, uh, he was feeling generous. Pedro Pascal, Mando was feeling generous. Um, yeah, that's, that's my second, um, critique. I just, her, her character, she played the character well, but it, it, the arc was weird, weird. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. Um, also, uh, she never renounced her wish. She was electrocuted in a pool of water and apparently that works too. So for anybody who didn't renounce their wish, uh, just hop into a pool of water and chuck your toaster in there and you'll be fine. Um, (laughs) good Lord. Um, so let's talk about Maxwell Lord, right? Yeah. Our boy Pedro Pascal, Din Dejarn, the Mandalorian himself. Um, like a lot like Kristen Wiig, acted the hell out of this role. I think the acting in this movie was very, very well executed. I loved every portrayal of the character that was presented on screen. I just didn't like a single character that was portrayed in this movie. Um, Maxwell Lord included a lot of people are saying he was the highlight of this movie and he deserves an Oscar and you know you know uh, DC Twitter is saying that he's the greatest DC villain of all time obviously I've never seen Man of Steel Um, but you know Maxwell Lord had the weirdest plan I've ever seen in my life how does he know about this stone who cares he does he gets the stone with the most dramatic put something behind your back scene you'll ever see in your entire life. You go back and watch this movie. He takes the stone from the desk and he puts it behind his back and the most dramatic music plays ever just because he tucked it behind it. So he has the stone now and he wishes to become the stone. Interesting, weird, right? But then he is now tasked of going around, touching people and saying, hey, wish for this. And they all say yes. Like I said earlier, it's just, it's so lazy the maxwell lord character in my opinion was so lazy and and i just want to point out everybody's talking about his last moment in this movie was great because you know he finally got back with his son and admitted all of his flaws and admitted that you know he's a bad man and you shouldn't trust me but i hope to earn your trust back do you remember what his son said in return like you don't need to you don't need to make me proud dad it's fine i love you anyway and then and then pedro pascal smiles and gives him a hug so what you're saying is our psychotic villain who wished his way into an apocalypse didn't learn nothing didn't learn a damn thing so the entire motivation for maxwell lord i think was just silly and and distracting 
and I just don't believe it one second. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really have many more. Like uh, all my other negatives would be nitpicky. I feel like we kind of both. I got a couple. Up. Up. Oh, okay, we'll go back to Matt then after I after I talk a little bit about Maxwell Lord. But uh, <laughs> I I got a few. Um, the flying scene. Yeah. They gave us the invisible jet. That was, cool. that was pretty awesome, right? I, nice I even, I even kind of like how they presented it because Zeus made them Mysterio invisible somehow. Daughter of Zeus, Diana Prince, she can also do it. She's been working on it for fifty years. She said, you know, it was just a coffee cup, but you know now she can do a plane. I wish it was teased. I wish it was more thought out. Whatever. I thought it was cool how they gave us the invisible jet scene that we never thought we were gonna get. I don't think anybody expected. The Invisible Jet in this movie. Nope. Isn't that, shouldn't that be how Wonder Woman gets around at that point? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because she needs to fly at some point. So, so they make her fly for no reason. They, they have the flying scene, you know, and, and it's an emotional thing. Steve Trevor told her just to trust the wind and learn how to weave in and out of it, whatever. So, okay. She's flying now. Liam, what was the best moment in the trailers for this movie? What was the greatest thing ever when these trailers came out? Taking the lasso and swinging on the lightning bolt, right? Ride the lightning, baby. Wonder Woman's going to ride a bolt of lightning. It's going to be epic. It's going to be monumental. It's going to make a lot of sense in the story. It's going to really matter. Something is happening in the sky, and she needs to, she needs to ride this lightning in order to get to where she's going. I watched it back right before we started recording. She's flying. She's in that pose where she's got a fist back and one forward. Um, the karate I stance. So I got into a karate stance. What? And so she's in that she's in that pose. It's clear skies. It's the nicest day in the history of Washington, D.C. And she's flying. And then all of a sudden, there's storm clouds. And then she rides the lightning. And she whips off two bolts of lightning and comes out of it. And she goes right back into that pose. And it's clear skies again. Liam, they made that shot strictly to put it in a trailer. Yep. And I consider that fraud. <laughs> I consider that libel and erroneous on all accounts. <laughs> because because we that was the most epic shot ever is Wonder Woman riding lightning. I can't wait to find out why she's doing it, how she's doing it, for what reason she's doing it. She's the only reason she rode the lightning in this movie, the greatest part of the trailer was to put it in the trailer. It's a disgrace. That was a fraud moment for DC movies everywhere. It made no sense. So the whole flying thing. And then, you know where she's flying to, by the way? It's it's the facility that he's broadcasting at, right? No, no. She's flying to her wingsuit. So, oh, so she, yeah. flies, she flies for 15 minutes. And then finally lands at this amazing, gorgeous, beautiful wingsuit that allows her to fly better, worse, yeah. uh, whatever, right? Because when yeah. she actually is in the wingsuit and she's fighting Cheetah, the wingsuit does absolutely nothing. This suit was made to take on the weight of the world. That's word for word what she said. We made her a suit to take on the world. Cheetah rips it apart in two minutes. WandaVision pushes her, uh, sorry, <laughs> Wonder Woman pushes her <laughs> away and then drops the wings. Why they ruined the flying scene by making her fly before she got the wingsuit and then she got the wingsuit and dropped the wings immediately. 
this was all trailer fodder. The last 45 minutes of this movie were built to make a great trailer to get us excited for this movie. That is my biggest issue with this film other than the mirror scene with Steve Trevor. Yeah, uh, just to, to talk about your, your stuff a little bit. I had to look up after this movie if Wonder Woman can fly in the comics because I was like, I genuinely was like, is, this a, is this a new thing? And apparently she can in some iterations, at least on her like DC dot fandom or whatever. Matt, you're she was your given hands. the ability to fly by the god uh, Hermes. That's the 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 speed god, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the comics, she was given the ability to fly from one of the one of her brothers and sisters, the god Hermes, and um, it's a big monumental moment in the comics. But in this movie, it's because a guy told her she could. Yeah, um, and I also the the whole stuff with the. The flying and before that, when she was just using the lasso to get around, I was like, "Is she Spider Man?" Because so cool. <laughs> it was it was okay. Sure, it was cool, but at the same time, I was like, "Is this what Wonder Woman?" Genuinely, correct me if I'm wrong. I I have not watched the cartoon or a lot of the Justice League, but does she lasso around the same way Spider Man uses his webs? Because yep. she, she emphasized it so much that I was like, "This must be like a key ability or something that I didn't know of." Um, the flying was weird. And yeah, Barbara Minerva, uh, Cheetah's involvement in the end where she could just pull apart the wingsuit like it was nothing after we got that brief flashback of Asteria. Great name. Uh, Taking name. on the world. Yeah. An army of 300 or, or whatever. And, and she's fine. It, it, it was like vibranium in DC, uh, essentially. But she pulls it apart like it's nothing. And then she fights it like that those kind of scenes the fact that it was taken apart so easily like you said it feels like it's just there for promotional material it's just there to exactly get a sweet gold poster a sweet logo uh, a sweet shot in the trailer when she when she drops the wings gives yes. you vibes when you see that in the trailer i i got vibes of cap winter soldier when um uh georgia st pierre is like oh i thought you were more than just a man with a shield he drops the shield takes off the helmet let's go toe to toe get those vibes from the trailer and then you realize she sheds the wings because the wings are of no use to her anymore they're hindering her because they were she can fly she doesn't need the wings yeah man uh unless you have any more negatives i mean i like i said i need to emphasize once more this is a podcast of positivity we mm. want to like stuff but yep at the end of the day i gotta call a spade a spade and i went into this movie wanting to love it Maybe did I set my expectations a little too high? Potentially. Maybe I'll revisit this movie in six months and find enjoyment in it. But at the end of the day, I just didn't care for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Matt, I feel like we should now get into our final thoughts. Mm -hmm. To wrap this thing up, how do you feel about Wonder Woman 1984? And give me your vote of confidence on the future of the DCEU. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Sorry. Um, okay. So a lot of people are going to come out and say, this movie was fun. It was, it was a fun comic book movie. Why do we have to pick apart every little detail when we don't do that with the Marvel movies, when we don't do that with star Wars, yada, yada, yada. Right. People are going to claim this is a fun movie. Just enjoy it. Stop Stop thinking too much about the little itty-bitty things, right? And I accept that those movies exist. And I have a couple examples, right? If a movie is going to be labeled fun at best, I think inherently that means 
that it lacks two things. It lacks a great story and it lacks good character development. And that's okay, especially with comic book movies that are supposed to, at the end of the day, be fun. This movie obviously had a mess of a bloated story. The character development, I think, was next to none. But if a movie is going to be fun and lack those two things, I need two of these three things. It needs to have at least one, good comedy, B, great action, or three, good chemistry. It needs to have two of those three things. An example of a fun comic book movie with good comedy and great action, Birds of Prey. Yeah. Great comedy, great action. Um, an example of a movie that has great action and good chemistry, Wonder Woman 2017. That was a fun movie for me because the action was cool and the chemistry was great. An example of a movie that has good comedy and good chemistry, but maybe lacks a little bit of action, but still fun, Iron Man 2. Great comedy, great chemistry, lacked in the action department. That's why it's a fun movie, not a great movie. This movie had no comedy other than that one. Well, shit, Diana, that was a great line. But other than that, no comedy in this movie. The action I thought was subpar at best. Subpar at best, um, especially because most of it was just made so the trailer could happen. And I liked the chemistry between Steve and Diana. I liked it a lot. But I, like I said earlier, I was taken out of it by the how we got there ness of it. You know, the whole Steve's in a different guy's body. So for anyone who wants to come out and say, well, this movie's fun. Just enjoy it. It doesn't meet the criteria for me to be fun. It needs to have a couple things. I don't think it had any of those things. It had a little bit of maybe one of them. So those are my final thoughts. I think Wonder Woman 1984 was a... A victim of excitement. This is the next phase in the DCEU, and we were all really jacked for it. We've also seen trailers for this movie for a year and a half. Um, so um, I don't necessarily blame the hype for this movie, but I think it felt incredibly flat in as far as confidence for the DCEU moving forward. I um, am about where I was before I saw the first trailer for Wonder Woman 1984, and that's at a meh. My, my excitement is at a meh for the DCEU moving forward. Liam, your final thoughts on WW84. Yeah, uh, I'm echoing a lot of what you said. I really like your bit about how a fun movie needs to have two of those three elements. And mm-hmm. I didn't Comedy, get... Comedy, action, chemistry. Sorry. Honestly, you have a great comedic actor with Kristen Wiig. I don't think a lot of her jokes landed. I thought she was funny at moments, mm-hmm. but funny in the sense of like, I recognize that's funny, but I'm not laughing type thing. The action scenes, man, some of them, the way they were displaced, I could almost just picture the wires like they were they were digitally removed. But the way they're moving and the way the fluid motion of a landing, I'm like, there was a wire there. And X-Men vibes. (laughs) I right, And I understand that's how movies work. But when you when you put it in my face, it takes me out of the movie. I want to immerse myself in this world. I want to feel like a bystander in Diana Prince's story, not like an audience member. Kind and of for too much of that, I felt like an audience member. Mm-hmm. And then your last bit, great chemistry. Again, Steve Trevor, Diana Prince, Gal Gadot, and Chris Pine are impeccable. They're great. I even liked Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig. They really only got one moment to shine together. First that 40 minutes. Scene, yeah, that, that brunch dinner scene, whatever they called it, early dinner. I really enjoyed that scene yep. because it allowed 
you know, someone like, like she says, Kristen Wiig is looking at Diana Prince and she's seeing all the popular girls from high school and being like, how are, why are you giving me the time of day? Like all that. And then she's like, you know, just cause I, I like look beautiful. doesn't mean I, I don't have pain in my life. The only person I ever loved died in a plane explosion, you know? So I thought that moment of humanity was great for Diana. My vote of confidence on the future of the DCEU, Matt, I believe I said last week that I was really worried about the Snyder cut because I said <laughs> that I was afraid Wonder Woman 84 was going to restore our faith in the DCEU and then Zack Snyder would come along and take that away because as comic book movie fans, we are extremely recently biased. You can give us a year's worth of crap. You can give us the Rise of Skywalker and then rope us back in with Mando season two. You can give us Thor the Dark World and rope us back in with Cap Winter Soldier. All it takes is one project, just one. And that statement was so conducive on Wonder Woman 84 being a good good time. Never did I think, never did I think that that when I expected to take one step forward and two steps back in the few in in March that we were going to take two steps back in December and then another maybe five steps back in March. I said history has its eyes on you to Wonder Woman 1984. The industry still does. We still have to get those HBO Max subscriber numbers. There's still a lot riding on what this movie meant for the future of streaming versus theaters. But now I got to say, Snyder Cut, the DCEU is pleading with you because as of right now i'm at low confidence with the dceu and unless the snyder cut gives me just a fun time we'll get into our wish list later the snyder cut uh, I'll, I'll save it for the wish list but yeah i have a lot more riding on the snyder cut now than i did before and yeah zach snyder you, you got you got higher expectations from me now Two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Zach Snyder's your quarterback, DCEU. Have fun. And you're down by you're down by eight. You need a two point conversion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't just need a touchdown. You need to land it. Um, but before we get out of this, real quick, we need to compliment sandwich this shit. Shout out costume department for me. Yes, I mean, I mean, just impeccable work with how everybody looked, how everybody felt. I loved it. Um, Gal Gadot might not be from this planet. She might be an alien from a different planet because she is that amazing. Um, I love when she talks. I love when she walks. I love how she looks. I love how she feels. She is one of my favorite actresses in the game. I'm so sorry that you had to be a part of this movie. <laughs> um, man, I'm really trying hard not to say this movie stinks. Um, but uh, guys, you know, that's Wonder Woman 1984, and that's our first movie review. I'm sorry we couldn't just wax poetic about how great it was. Um, we pointed out things we liked. We pointed out things we didn't like. But in the future just like the Mandalorian reviews that we had, we will still be breaking down everything you need to know about every single project coming up in the year 2021 and beyond. Stick with us right here on the direct podcast. That has been our WW84 review. All right. So in the season of giving and in the season of wishing, and you know, since we just got a big movie about granting wishes with wonder woman 1984 we figured (laughs) we figured we might as well give our 2021 wish list this is going to be me and matt's collective list of 10 things we want to see the most when it comes to 2021 comic book properties that's dc that's marvel that's star wars let's emphasize right off the bat though 
you can kind of tell based on the run times of these episodes and how long we talk about Marvel and how, you know, proportional we talk about DC and Star Wars. We're a couple Marvel guys. So you might see a lot of Marvel moments on this list. That's not to say we don't care for DC or Star Wars, but let's also state the obvious. We're getting so much Marvel content in 2021. There's just more room for more wishes when it comes to Marvel as opposed to Star Wars where we're really only getting one show dc we're really only getting snyder cut and suicide squad so with that being said matt i think let's get this thing started we're gonna go back and forth and assemble our list our top 10 direct wish list for things we want to see happen in 2021 matt kick us off what is at the top of your wish list um liam who's my favorite marvel character that would be Wanda Maximoff. That's right. So my original number one was going to be a hint at mutants, but we talked a lot about that earlier on this podcast. So I'm going to pivot to my second WandaVision wishlist moment. This might not happen in WandaVision. This might not happen in Spider-Man 3. It probably will happen in Doctor Strange. I want to see heal Wanda Maximoff. Ooh. I want to see the Scarlet Witch become the big bad for phase four of the mcu i want to see danny targaryen flip that coin in the middle of the air and it land on the wrong side i want to see dark side ray that we never got to see in star wars the rise of skywalker i want wanda maximoff to become the big bad for the mcu in 2021 i love it i love it we've been talking about for so long the parallels between maximoff and targaryen how you know uh, when, so, whenever Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. And I think just what you said, have it land on the wrong side, explore the darkness of Wanda's character. Cause after all, at the end of the day, uh, can you really blame her <laughs> with all no! she's been through? It would be perfect. The best villains are the ones when we can see their point of view and Wanda Maximoff is probably, you know, if you make her a villain, she would be the most fleshed out villain in the history of the MCU. No other villain has gotten the screen time that she's gotten leading up to a potential heel turn. I love it, Matt. I'm going to get my number one right out of the way because we just talked about so much DC. Let's just get it out of the way. My number one, um, not necessarily my top moment, but one thing that I need to happen in 2021, I need the Snyder Cut to restore my faith in, in the DCEU. We just talked about it a little bit. You know, it's something that not so much I want, but I need because I, I need these movies to be good. I, I don't want to be a DC hater. I'm a comic book movie lover. I'm not a Marvel guy. I'm not a DC guy. I'm not a Star Wars guy. I just love these movies, these fantasies, sci-fi, where we you can escape into these worlds. And what better than to have two separate universes thriving at the same time? I'm a big wrestling fan. Didn't get to grow up in the 90s, unfortunately, but I've heard the stories about how WCW and WWF were having the Monday Night Wars and they're both producing the best content they've ever done. You're telling me I have the chance to live in a world where two comic book movie universes could be producing great stuff? Let me have it. Snyder Cut, you got a big opportunity here. A four-hour director's cut, no strings attached vision to do whatever you want. And hopefully what you do is restore my faith. Zack Snyder, I'm begging you. Liam Crowley, born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, just said WCW, <laughs> which is just a paradox that I can't wrap my head around at the moment. Um, my number two, I'll do my DC one, right? Um, sure. The original Suicide Squad movie. I forget who directed it. Um, David Ayer. 
David Ayer, how about that? Release the air cut. Um, I think a lot of the criticism came from just using songs just to use songs, right? Sure. You know, the, the songs from Suicide Squad movie were incredibly uh, misplaced, in my opinion. Um, easily the worst DCEU movie so far. What we got out of the Suicide Squad, David Ayer has his own story. But who's taking over for the Suicide Squad in 2021? As you like to put it, Jimmy Gunn. Jimmy Gunn. Who has the greatest movie soundtracks of all time? Comic book movie, regular movie, whatever. James Gunn. James Gunn. I want the Suicide Squad soundtrack to be just the greatest thing we've ever seen. I think it could be our extended edition of the Guardians soundtrack playlist that we all have on our phone. You know you have a Guardians playlist on your phone. I think this could be an extension of that. That's what I want. I want hip hop. I want to see what James Gunn thinks the Suicide Squad should be listening to in the locker room getting ready for game day. I love it. And I love uh, his soundtracks with Guardians 1 and Guardians 2. But Suicide Squad gives him a unique opportunity to play with modern music. Yes. Play with some like alternative stuff. Because the best thing about those uh, uh, Guardians movies was they resurrect songs that weren't necessarily at the top of the charts. You know, ones that kind of fell, fell under the radar bring us that alternative, bring us that pop punk, bring us that modern sound that, you know, isn't necessarily on the radio and, you know, resurrect some songs, get my playlist bumping. I'm excited. And I love that moment uh, or that addition to the list. My next one, it's coming up. It's coming up fast. Uh, We got a series before it, but man, oh man, I'm so excited. I just want the Falcon and the Winter Soldier to deliver the most quote. This is a big ask, but the most compelling and grounded MCU story since cap two. Um, there's not really a lot to, to say as to like, you know, why I need this because I just want a good story. Like it, it's not really that much to ask for, to ask for a good story. But what from everything I've gotten from these trailers, from everything I've speculated, from all the hype around the series, I think the series is going to be a moment in time. I think the series is going to be picked apart and analyzed when it comes to uh, society and stuff we kind of talked about how wonder woman had some societal tones that didn't necessarily hit very strongly i think falcon and winter soldier has the opportunity to have subliminal messages about the world we live in and tell a story that while set in the fantastical world world of the mcu still is rooted in reality and i think that the falcon and the winter soldier has the power to tell the most compelling story we've gotten in the mcu since 2014's cap winter soldier quick question about that real quick just follow up what would yeah. you say is the best grounded and um foot on the ground story since captain winter soldier so far obviously you know we had Endgame, mm-hmm. infinity war and captain marvel those are great stories told in space what about the most what's the most the best grounded mcu story since cap 2 so far for you is it cheating to say like Spider-Man Homecoming? That's exactly because... what I was going to say. That's exactly <laughs> right? what I was going to say. Yeah. No, that's it. Yeah. It's a coming of age movie, but it's yeah. still grounded. It's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. It's the ultimate friendly neighborhood Spider-Man story. Twitter, please come at me. Please come oh, at no. me. Liam, I have become addicted to arguing oh, no. about old Spider-Man movies on Twitter. Gonna please say. come at me. Spider-Man Homecoming. The best Peter Parker story ever been told on oh, okay. live action. What'd you no, I, I you agree with that. Story? I thought you were about to start trashing Spider-Man 2 for no reason. Oh, I'll, I'll go all day, but this is not the segment. <laughs> 2021 wish list. 
feature segment here on the direct podcast. My number two, I'm going to get my star Wars one out of the way. Just like I got my um, DC one out of the way again. Number three, uh, number three, number three. Sorry. Just not a lot of content to pick from, from DC and star Wars, but what I hope we get, we don't know release dates on this in a really big way, but I really hope we get an Ahsoka trailer near the end of the year leading up to the book of Boba Fett. I think an Ahsoka trailer could really start that ball rolling, get an Ahsoka trailer, get the book of Boba Fett, start writing Amando 3, and then boom, the Ahsoka series. I think Dave Filoni could really get our get our attention early near the uh, in the fall period of 2021 with a really awesome Ahsoka trailer. Yeah, uh, Ahsoka is one of my most hyped Star Wars projects because mm-hmm. of how much she kicked ass in The Mandalorian Season 2. And yeah, I'd love to see some footage. I'm going to go with my Star Wars moment, and it's not uh, Star Wars edition, I should say. Not necessarily a trailer or or a movie or anything. I just want them to officially announce Sebastian Stan is playing young Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> if it's if it's going to happen, it's going to happen within the next year because something will leak, something will get officially announced. But I speculated the reason why they went with the CGI um, in chapter 16 of The Mandalorian was to keep it a secret because I feel like if it, it's a moment that they would rather have it be a digital, little digitally, you know, tough to look at but keep that secret rather than risk sebastian stan was spotted on set put two and two together next thing you know the big reveal is ruined so i i that's kind of what i've been hooked on lately um it was also a moment to give mark hamill closure because you know he finally got that moment he was there on set provided the voice provided like the face to get de-aged and you know placed on to the body double so I think that if they're going to have Luke Skywalker continue in the future of these Star Wars movies, they, you know, we have talked about how we think we're going away from the Skywalker saga. But then again, we are going back to Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor reprising their roles. It's only right that if we're going to continue a story <laughs> post Return of the Jedi, that Luke Skywalker pops up in some capacity. If we're going to see Grogu again, Luke's got to be there. There's such a rich story to tell between Ahsoka and Luke. And you can't keep using a CGI body double in the future cast sebastian stan i've literally seen so many interviews where he enthusiastically says i want to do this not someone going like oh i mean sure i'd listen if they give me the call like no he says i want to do this make it happen i would love it (laughs) i would really be happy with it okay so where am i at four four yeah so i have two more now I have to pick between some things. I didn't think Liam wouldn't steal any of my stuff, and I already use Heal Wanda. So, Budapest. Budapest. Budapest, man. We need it, right? 2012. Yeah, we, we need the Budapest scene. Black Widow, I think, is going to be such an amazing movie for MCU fans everywhere. It's going to be a really unique kind of one off story that the MCU really hasn't told yet. 23 movies, it seems like every single one of them touches another, right? I think Black Widow is going to, other than maybe a post credit scene or any sort of Yolanda Belova action that we get, I think it's going to be majority standalone within the MCU. But one thing that they can't give us, a gap they have yet to fill, a story that has yet to be told, what happened in Budapest? with Clint Barton and Natasha Romanoff. I'm so excited. This is a really great chance to see it. Obviously, it could be shown in the Hawkeye series. I hope it isn't because I want that series to be a forward-thinking series, not necessarily a look back, other than you know some Easter eggs that I'm sure we'll get. I want Budapest and Black Widow. Also, I want Ilana Belova to 
just ask, so what the hell happened in Budapest? I want it to be that blunt. You know what I mean? I just want everybody to get the answer they've been wanting for the past eight years. Give me Budapest, Black Widow, please. And sticking with the Black Widow theme, I'll, I'll just go with my next one. I want Black Widow just to release in theaters, ma'am. I know they said ah. they're going to do it. I know they said, you know, it's going to happen. But uh, for as long as the world is like this, I'm always going to ask, what if? I'm always going to ask, what if things change? What if, you know, the vaccine takes longer to distribute? I just I just need this movie to be released in theaters. And I could kind of double up with that and say I want all four Marvel movies to get released in theaters. But at the end of the day, like, I just Black Widow has been the one that has been moved so much and so much. Like Shang-Chi, I want to see in theaters. Same with Eternals, same with Spider-Man 3. But at the end of the day, Black Widow is the one who has suffered the most, I think. And if I can only get one of those four, oh, that's tough to say, Black Widow over Spider-Man 3. But, you know, let Natasha Romanoff have her swan song properly and have that wrap up with a theatrical release. Uh, by May, things should be good. So I'm hoping and praying we get Black Widow in theaters. Famous last words. Um <laughs> I am tilting between a few of them here. I really am. I'm not going to do my Thunderbolts pick because we've already talked about Black Widow enough. Yeah. So, Liam, I'm going to let you pick. All right. Do you want okay. my Eternals wish or do you want my Spider-Man three wish? Eternals. Well, I'm going to I'm going to end on a Spidey three wish. So I'll take your Eternals. Fantastic. I want Richard Madden and Kit Harrington to share one moment on screen together where we all look at it and say. Oh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the Stark brothers, guys, they left each other in episode three of one of the greatest TV series of all time. They have yet to be on screen together since. I need Richard Madden and Kit Harrington, the Dark Knight. No, sorry. The Black, Black Knight. Knight. Yeah, yeah. The Dark Knight is Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want Kit Harrington, the Black Knight, to look at Richard Madden and have some sort of moment where we all just well up a little bit. You know what I mean? Because those are the Stark boys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those, those are our guys. I want that moment. I know it's small. I know it's personal. Give me my Game of Thrones moment in the MCU, please. The pieces are there. Make it happen. I love it. Um, you know, it, it harkens back to Infinity War when you got Doctor Strange and Iron Man together, and you're kind of like, oh, look. The two different Sherlock Holmeses, but at the same time, they're just different iterations. They never shared the screen together. So I think it would be pretty damn cool to see the Stark boys back together once again, have them just share a nice tender moment. Don't, you know, break the fourth wall necessarily, but maybe just have a line of dialogue that has a double meaning. The last, the last line that Richard Madden says to Kit Harrington before he leaves for the wall in Game of Thrones, uh, how about... You've always looked good in black, or or Kit Harrington says, ah, "I've always like black's always been my color." Give me that line. Give me that line in the Eternals, so I can cry, weeping, and hopefully an AMC theater seat. And it's perfect because it's he's the Black Knight. It makes he's, so he's, much sense, Liam. He's got it the black cloak. So much sense. Ah, oh, that would be amazing. And I mean, I talk about a, a couple of great names: the Black Knight for Kit Harrington and. Icarus for Richard Madden. And I need it, bro. I need Amazing. the wolves to get back together and have that moment. I love it. All right. My Spider-Man three pick and rounding out this list specific wording here. I want Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to sign on for Spider-Man three, but my very wishful thinking wish is I don't want to know this until I'm in the theaters for Spider-Man three. 
Wow. It's it's impossible. It's it's such a tall order because if they're in this movie, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, one of these outlets is going to find out and we're going to get confirmed ahead of the release. But just imagine the moment if we go in thinking it could happen, wondering if it will happen, and then it happens and you get that movie magic the same way J.K. Simmons came back in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home and no one expected it. Credit, his scenes were filmed, you know, in a studio lot, which is kind of easier or a soundstage, I should say, easier to sneak him in and, you know, disguise it a bit. Garfield and Maguire would be very tough to keep under wraps. But if they somehow keep this moment a secret, keep it entirely speculative, keep it on all the sites that are saying we have this confirmed, but none of the major outlets can confirm it. And we have the moment happen where all three Spider-Man unite as one on screen for the first time together. Man, oh man, the waterworks would be endgame rivaled. It would be amazing. My final moment. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's surprise appearance in Spider-Man 3. Let me just try to like paraphrase what you just said as somebody who's listening to your thought instead of somebody in your own brain. This is a movie that like there's so many casting announcements and so many details being leaked over and over and over. And we're still over a year away from getting it. Um, You want to be surprised in Spider-Man 3. You know what I mean? With so many moving pieces, it's hard to be surprised in that kind of way. You're right. That would be that moment, like like the moment. You know what I mean? Like seeing Toby pop up and look at Tom Holland and like their first words together will just be. Like, like you want to talk about edge of your seat, like, like hearing those two talk to each other will be the most edge of your seat moment for any person, our age group that loves comic book movies, because we grew up on Tobey Maguire. We fall in love with Tom Holland. I need that need that. I'm with you. So guys, that's our 2021 wish list for Star Wars, Marvel and DC movies moving forward. Please, we're going to put these out on social media. Let us know what do we leave off? What shouldn't have been included? Does Wanda need to be a good guy? Should we just know that they're going to be in Spider-Man 3 so we don't have to wrap our heads around it in the moment? There's a lot of things that we can ask. Uh, let us know out there on the social medias at Liam T. Crowley and at Matt Rimke, R-O-E-M, B as in boy, K-E. And guys, that's been an episode. Am I right, Liam? Yeah. Let me look at the rundown real quick. And you're across the eyes carry the two we are done episode 13 what a wrap it was a good time but real quick before we let you get out of here we are going to get into our weekly recommendations liam tell tell us what it's all about all right uh i'm a big music guy and i didn't really come in with like a concrete recommendation but i've been listening to a lot of machine gun kelly lately matt Mm -hmm. recommended uh the punk rock factory last week and I listened to some of their stuff and they're pretty good. And it just kind of Fun, re- right? revitalized my pop punk uh, like itch that I, that I wanted to get back onto. Machine Gun Kelly, Tickets to My Downfall. It was an album he released earlier this year. I want to say like August or September. But man, oh man, it's, it's one of the best albums of the year. An artist uh, like him who I never thought I would like. I always thought he was kind of just like a forgettable rapper. He got into a diss battle with Eminem. Eminem dissed him so bad he had to switch genres and it was the best thing that could have ever happened to his career. Machine Gun Kelly, one of the best pop punk artists going today. A couple tracks you got to listen to. Nothing Inside with Ian Dior. Uh, All I Know with Trippy Red. Uh, Forget Me Too with Halsey. 
uh, title track and one more concert for aliens. They all bang and he's coming out with a mini movie like uh, music video series in January, which will accompany the album so well. Tickets to my downfall, Machine Gun Kelly, my weekly recommendation. Like I'm Steve. Oh, I'm a wild boy. I'm a, I'm a wild boy. Um, my recommendation is going to um, not be that divergent from DC, Marvel, and Star Wars content. Um, everybody, right now, go to YouTube. Type in three names. Type in Adam Scott. Type in Mark Hamill. And then type in Jimmy Kimmel. This is a video I came across recently that I had never seen before. And it brought tears to my eyes for a little backstory adam scott um for those who have watched the hit nbc show parks and recreation based in pawnee indiana which is a fictional town based on muncie indiana where i gained my collegiate degree um ball state trip trip let's go um but anyway adam scott is on jimmy kimmel and Kristen bell is hosting and they talk about this moment when Adam Scott was a young kid and he invited Mark Hamill to his birthday party. And then something happens. And really why I'm suggesting this video is to show the unbelievable fandom that somebody can get when they're as famous as they can be. It's one of the coolest moments I've ever seen. It's the most Star Wars clip I've ever seen on the Internet. I love it. Check it out. Just type in those three names. I promise you the video will pop up right away. Check it out on YouTube. Liam, do you have anything else to say to these wonderful listeners of ours before we head them into the amazing week that is about to be? Not really. Just subscribe, rate, and review at the end of the day. That's what we want to keep doing. We want to keep uh, publishing this podcast week in and week out. December has been a great month, Matt. It seems like we're doing bonus episodes left, right, and center. And if you want bonus episodes to become a regular thing, if you want us to do two episodes a week, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Those iTunes reviews really help us out a ton. We're loving the downloads. We're seeing a lot of love um, over on Buzzsprout, seeing the numbers go up internationally, which is fantastic. But also reach out to me and Matt. We want to tell your stories. We want to hear about your fandoms. We want to hear your Mark Hamill and Adam Scott moments. Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Will Jones, I shouted him out a couple weeks ago where he gave me a great DM. Let us know your stories. Let us know what you want to talk about. We'll do a mailbag once again in the future. Let us know. Reach out. We're building this community and we need you guys to be a part of it. And just like I said a few weeks ago, if you were one of those people lucky enough to go to theaters and watch Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman 1984 live in a theater in a big red comfy seat with an overpriced bucket of popcorn, send me your ticket on Twitter. I promise you, if you send me your ticket on Twitter, you will be entered in a chance to win a full refund for your entire experience. You send me the receipts and I will send you all the money you paid because I am so happy that you were able to go enjoy that experience in theater. So please, at Matt Rimke, M-A-T-T-R-O-E-M-B as in boy, K-E, hit me up for your Wonder Woman 1984 ticket refund. Thank you for going into theaters. And Liam, for, for Liam, I'm Matt. We'll see you next time. I sold some tickets to come see my downfall. It sold out in minutes. I saw friends in the front row. They'll leave when I'm finished. And the light in my name's gone. Cause the ones who gas you up only come around when the flame's on end. I gave you my life. Fuck it.